Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on the first At The Movies for 2024, a boarding school history teacher has to babysit the kids who can't go home for Christmas. I suspect that, like me, this is not how you wanted to spend your holidays. But such are the vicissitudes of life. And as Barton men, we learn to confront our challenges with heads held high and with a spirit of courage and good fellowship. Uh, in strict accordance with the dictates of the manual, of course. And a lonely English writer returns to his family home for some much-needed inspiration. I suppose nothing's going to fit you anymore, is it? Nope. Yeah, well, I bought you some of your dad's things instead. OK. Oh, look, come on, take these off as well and I'll put them in to dry with the rest. But first, a summary summary, you might say. If you spent the last month on a beach and not in a cinema, what did you miss? Whoa, 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 whoa. Is this real? <laughs> what do you mean, is this real? We're really going. Yes. On a migration. Mm-hmm. To Jamaica? Yeah. Together. Yes. Like everyone. Yes. Including you. Yes, we are all going on a migration to Jamaica. And which language should I tell you? <laughs> I counted 15 mainstream films released in New Zealand between Boxing Day and Wellington Anniversary. I know that seems like quite a lot, but it is in fact a lot less than we used to get. The holiday season used to be awash with family comedies, art house mainstays and awards contenders, but this summer the competition was actually not all that hot. First up, animation. We just heard a clip from Migration. A family of ducks go on holiday only to become targets of a famous New York chef and his duck a la range. It was all right, but I was one of the few reviewers to have a soft spot for Disney's Wish, the film the studio commissioned to celebrate their 100th birthday. It came and went too soon. For older audiences, there was some quality on offer. Anthony Hopkins showed that at 85 he has lost none of his power and could effortlessly coax tears from even the toughest critic in One Life, a sensitive biography of Nicholas Winton, whose kinder transport saved hundreds of Jewish lives at the beginning of World War II. The beautiful islands of the Cyclades and the Aegean Sea were the main attraction of the French comedy Two Tickets to Greece. That is, until another British veteran, Kristen Scott Thomas, turned up and gave the film a little bit of bite. And George Clooney returned to the director's chair with a film about Olympic rowing. I'm Coach Ulbrichson. Well, that's Coach Bowles, Coach Brown. You're all here because we're looking for the eight most qualified young men to fill out JV boat. That means that most of you will not be chosen. In fact, the majority of you will most likely walk away on your own within the next few weeks because your bodies will hurt, your minds will tire, and you'll decide this dream of yours to compete against the greatest crews in the world is just not worth it. There's no shame in that. 
Eight-man crew is the most difficult team sport in the world. The average human body is just not meant for such things. It's just not capable of such things. But average is not going to get a seat on my boat. So good luck. The Boys in the Boat was the least offensive film of the summer, perfectly enjoyable while you were watching it, utterly forgettable straight afterwards. Pushing the boundaries a little further was Anyone But You, a raunchy romantic comedy based on Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. Set, for some reason, in Sydney, Australia, everyone and everywhere looked glamorous, sexy and chic. I predicted that it would be utterly critic-proof, and sure enough, it's already made over $100 million at the worldwide box office. Are rom-coms back? Maybe they are, if there's enough attractive flesh on display. Our horror film for the summer was the minor league Night Swim. The only novelty being it wasn't a haunted house that possessed us, it was a haunted swimming pool. One trend I didn't expect was that by the time the summer is over, there will have been four new musicals in cinemas. Wonka, The Colour Purple, Mean Girls and Dicks the Musical. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom was our comic book superhero movie, and while a little bit of Jason Momoa goes a long way, I didn't hate it, until I saw the budget. $215 million is a lot to spend on a franchise that's fizzling out. A lean, mean franchise that looks like it's just getting started is The Beekeeper, starring Jason Statham at his most taciturn. I'm a beekeeper. I protect the hive. Sometimes I use fire to smoke out hornets. This is a multi-million dollar operation, asshole. Okay, so you can't come up here white knighting. Will you stomp his ass out, please? Statham is actually the straight man in a delightfully silly, impressively violent and guilt-free piece of action nonsense that's notable for creating the most villainous villains that have done villainy on screen in ages. You want to see these people mashed up and you want it bad. Luckily, Mr Statham is there to do the business. Also very much for adults is Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things, in which Emma Stone plays a Victorian woman reanimated by a mad scientist using the brain of her unborn child. It's exactly as weird as that sounds, but deliciously designed and played to the hilt by Stone, Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo. But I did find myself wondering whether this was quite the feminist empowerment fable that I'd been led to believe. These two are fighting and ideas are banging around in Bella's head and heart like lights in a storm. Oh. You're always reading now, Bella. You're losing some of your adorable way of speaking. I'm a changingable feast, as are all of we. Apparently, according to Emerson, disagreed with by Harry. Come, come, just come. You were in my son. What? Michael Mann is another 80-year-old still going strong, and his portrait of a few crucial months in the career of motor car engineer Enzo Ferrari contained the single most shocking and surprising sequence of the summer. Adam Driver is perfectly fine as Enzo, but the heart and soul of the film, as she so often is, is Penelope Cruz as Enzo's estranged wife Laura. I've decided that she's the Ferrari the film is named after.
And then there's Nicolas Cage, wandering in and out of everyone's dreams, enjoying the notoriety, but then letting it get to his head in the clever satire dream scenario. That's a film I liked better the more I thought about it, which is the opposite of how these things normally work. Who's certain they've actually had a dream about me? Okay, let's explore this. This might get us somewhere interesting. Does anyone want to share the content of their dream? Yes, you? Well, um, <clears throat> I'm in this forest, wandering around, eating these strange mushrooms, and I'm in like a full tuxedo for some reason. It might have been a light summer, but it hasn't been a bad one by any means, and I've saved two of the best until last. <laughs> I suppose nothing's going to fit you anymore, is it? Nope. <laughs> yeah, well, I bought you some of your dad's things instead. Okay. Oh, look, come on, take these off as well and I'll put them in to dry with the rest. Uh... Oh, will you take them off, Adam? Honestly. God, look at you. What? You were just a boy. No, you're not. No. You're totally different, but it's still you. How do you film transcendence? How do you even conceive of a way of presenting it that can connect to audiences? After all, most of us probably don't have a picture in our minds of what it looks like or even spend much time thinking about it. Andrew Haig's new film, All of Us Strangers, presents early on as a kind of ghost story, but as it continues, it gets stranger, deeper, defying literal interpretation, refusing to provide standard story answers, until it reaches a climax that is so beautiful and surreal and profound that it takes your breath away. It's also a surprisingly spiritual conclusion for a writer and director who has professed his atheism in the past. But the divine sense that we are all just stardust forming and reforming and never really leaving each other, I found deeply moving. Of course, the fact that the ending is set to a Frankie Goes to Hollywood pop song might mean that there's a more prosaic, more logical or film-friendly solution, but I prefer mine and I'm sticking with it. Andrew Scott is Adam, a screenwriter with writer's block, holed up in an apartment block, listening to 80s pop tunes, trying to write about his childhood. The building appears to be almost empty, but one neighbour, Harry, played by the amazingly gifted Paul Mescal from After Sun, might be flirting with him, and he suggests a nightcap, which Adam declines. Drink. It's Japanese. It's meant to be the best in the world, but I, I couldn't tell you why, so... No, thanks. OK, um... OK, how about I come in anyway? If not for a drink, then... for whatever else you might want. Um... I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Do I scare you? No. We don't have to do anything if I'm not your type. There's vampires at my door. 
for inspiration, Adam takes the train to his suburban childhood home where, to all of our surprise, he meets his long-dead parents, played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy. They died in a car crash when he was 12, so there's a lot for them to catch up on, not least Adam's sexuality, which they have some very 80s concerns about. Liberated somewhat by this fantastical encounter with his parents, Adam responds to Harry and they commence a beautiful relationship. Things appear to be looking up for Adam. He is certainly more productive over the word processor, but there's something a little off about how perfect it's all become. Yes, he's rekindling a relationship with his parents, who he has a desperate sense of loss and guilt over, but he's also struggling with a fever that he can't quite seem to shake. So you're going to be over the moon to see you. Guess what I found loitering in the park. Is it him? Oh, yeah, it's definitely him. Look in his eyes. Yes, it is you. Hi. Hi. Don't just stand there. Get yourself inside. Haig and cinematographer Jamie Ramsey seem incapable of producing a dull image. The colours are beautiful and, dare I say it, ghostly. Adam seems to be reflected by mirrored surfaces continuously in his apartment, the elevator in the strangely under-occupied apartment building, the glass of a train window. He's forever catching a glimpse of himself, as if he's asking, is this really me? Am I really here? Andrew Scott is sensational as Adam. Every scene is gentle and powerful and moving, and so much of the power of the film is down to him. It feels like almost every film nowadays is about loss and grief. I look back on my past reviews and see that so often. A beautiful meditation on grief, I say. And bereavement is such a universal experience that of course it's going to inform so much of our lives and our art, as it does in all of us strangers. But I think more than that, the film is about loneliness the corrosive, long-term damage that loneliness does to a human. Yes, his parents are gone, but Adam's clear when he talks to them that he was a desperately lonely, sensitive little boy even before their departure, afraid of loud fireworks, but afraid of loud people too, and afraid of who he was and what that might mean for his life. That's a very 80s childhood for a gay man, he often has to repeat to his parents how much has changed for gay people since then, but he's reassuring himself, really. There are elements of autobiography in Haig's film. He even shot the film in the family home in Croydon that he grew up in. But he's a master of using moments and insights from his own life to flesh out his fiction. And in All of Us Strangers, he's made something wonderful. My advice is, don't see it as a puzzle to be solved, because by looking for clues, you'll probably be focused on the wrong things. Can I also just say that having first seen Jamie Bell as a young ballet dancer in Billy Elliot, the fact that he's now playing someone's father is messing with my head a bit. Well, I thought you'd be hairier, like your dad. <laughs> OK, sorry. <laughs> like a hairy chest myself. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, do you know who you remind me of? Uh, who? You look just like my dad. 
Did he? Hmm. I remember him anyway when I was a little girl. God, isn't that mad? It's like seeing you both exactly the same time. Oh, I've made your favourite. Well, I hope it's still your favourite. I'll just go and pop the kettle on and then you can tell me everything. All of Us Strangers is rated R16 for drug use and sex scenes and is screening in select cinemas all over Aotearoa now. Thank you again for doing this, Hunnam. I wouldn't have asked if it weren't an emergency. Oh, Mr. Endicott's mother, right. What a tragedy. It's not as though you had plans to leave campus anyway. And of course, there's a nice little bonus in it for you. Well, non nobis solum nati sumus, I suppose. Not for ourselves alone are we born. I'm guessing that's Cicero. Cicero, yes. Very good, Hardy. You remembered. <laughs> There'll be just four boys holding over this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I know a couple of these reprobates. Let's be a little more elastic in our assessment, shall we? It's hard enough for them to be away from home on the holidays. Latitude is the last thing these boys need. Alexander Payne is one of my favourite filmmakers. There's not a single dud in the resume as far as I'm concerned. Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon take on American high school democracy in election. Jack Nicholson leaves Nebraska for his daughter's wedding in About Schmidt. The love of wine can bring people together or not in sideways. George Clooney was never better than as the cuckolded Hawaiian lawyer in The Descendants. And I appreciate that I'm in a minority for my appreciation for Matt Damon shrinking himself for downsizing. So any year that has a new pain movie in it is a good year in my book. This year it's The Holdovers, a period film set in 1970 about a curmudgeonly ancient history teacher at a Massachusetts boarding school who's given the task of looking after the poor, actually not so poor, kids who can't go home for the holidays. The teacher is Paul Hunnam, played with characteristic abrasiveness by Paul Giamatti. He's a former student at Barton College who now spends his days being disappointed by the current students and faculty and his evenings getting gently sozzled on Jim Beam. His five student charges are reduced to one when a helicopter arrives to spirit a lucky few away to the ski fields of Haystack for the sweet powder and only spiky Angus Tully and kitchen manager Mary Lamb are left behind. Mary is still mourning the loss of her son Curtis, a Barton student thanks to her position, but who Barton could not or would not prevent from being drafted to Vietnam. It's nice to see class being presented on American screens, and the eventual revelation that ancient history snob Hunnam doesn't come from the same pedigreed stock as his charges or his colleagues is sharply observed. Uh, Mary... Maybe you would, uh, maybe you would care to join us? No, I'm all right. Thank you. I mean, I know she's sad about her son and everything, but still, she's getting paid to do a job. And she should do it well, right? 
But I guess no matter how bad a cook she is, now they can never fire her. Will you shut up? You have no idea what that woman has been through. You know, Mr. Koontz, for most people, life is like a hen house ladder, shitty and short. You were born lucky. Maybe someday you entitled little degenerates will appreciate that. If you don't, I feel sorry for you. And we will have failed to do our jobs. Now, eat. This kind of private school is a long way from being a meritorious academy. Very few of them are. But they are a way to keep the world of privilege tight and contained. Hunnam insists on blowing that coziness up to the detriment of his own career. But it's not until the end that we're told why. The spectre of Vietnam looms over the film, not just because of Mary's son Curtis, but also the risk that Angus will probably end up there if he's kicked out and his eventual realisation of his and his classmates' own privilege in avoiding it. Like so many of Payne's films, The Holdovers is about people slowly realising that the stories they tell themselves about themselves are no longer serving them. They have to reckon with who they really are in the here and now and become the men, they're usually men to be sure, that they need to be. The challenge for young Angus is to see that he is at risk of creating a story for himself before he's ready. Unlike many viewers, I'm not convinced that The Holdovers reaches the heights of Payne's other work. The script by David Hemmingson hits too many formulaic notes for that, but Payne's collaboration with his performers and his snowy evocation of the period mean that there are plenty of pleasures still to be had. Giamatti might be the most watchable of the leads, and Payne gives him some moments of frustration that are straight out of a Roadrunner cartoon, but his performance isn't the most impressive. First-timer Dominic Sessa as Angus has a gangly teenage physicality and a gorgeous pout, but he also carries the dramatic weight of the film and does so with confidence. He's definitely a name to watch. You know, I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Christmas dinner, I mean, family style. Out of the oven, all the trimmings. My mom always just orders in from Delmonico's. <laughs> She's got the right idea. Next year, I'm ordering from Delmonico's. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Mary. You're welcome. I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions on this snowy island and to our absent friends and family. And I realize that none of us is here because he wants to be. So if there's any way that I could make the holidays a little cheerier for either one of you, just say the word. Okay. I want to go to Boston. Boston? Why? Why not? The Holdovers is rated M for offensive language and is playing in discerning cinemas across the Motu now. And that's our first program for the year. We're playing ourselves out with a key track from Andrew Haig's All of Us Strangers, the Pet Shop Boys from 1987 and their cover of Always On My Mind. This week's program was written and produced by me, Dan Slevin, and engineered by William Saunders. 
Simon Morris will be back in the hot seat next week, so I hope you'll join him here at the same time on RNZ National. dust coming from still finding debris after vacuuming eufy x10 pro omni robot vacuum has 8,000 pa of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets and it's totally hands-free want to know more go to eufy.com that's eufy.com and discover x10 pro omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only 799 dollars